On today's podcast, we'll be joined by a Shark Week legend. He's a filmmaker who's made over 30 Shark Week documentaries. He's the mastermind behind Air Jaws and the 2022 documentary Great White Open Ocean, Jeff Kerr. Jeff will be discussing his beautiful documentary about his friend and shark diver, Jimmy Partington, who had a near-death experience with a great white on one of his shows. We'll talk shark encounters and what happens when they go bad. All that and more is coming up on this episode of Shark Week, the podcast. I'm Luke Tipple, marine biologist and a frequent voice on my favorite things, oceans and sharks. And I'm stoked to bring the magic of Shark Week right to your ears. You know, sharks have been a big part of my life for over 20 years. They're a critical part of the ocean and a conduit to a better understanding life on our planet. So whether you've never seen Shark Week before, or you've been a diehard fan over the 30 plus years it's been around, this podcast is for you. On this episode, and this is a very special episode, I'm welcoming Shark Week royalty. He's a filmmaker, Emmy nominee, and Shark Week extraordinaire. He's the first person to ever shoot a great white shark jump entirely out of the water, which was an iconic moment in TV history. And he can take a lot of credit for the birth and evolution of underwater filmmaking. So let's get to him. Jeff Kerr, welcome to Shark Week, the podcast. Hey, thanks, Luke. Great to be here. Well, good to have you back. I'm stoked to have a chat to you today because there's so much going on. But for anybody who is unfamiliar with your work, I mean, frankly, probably everybody listening to this podcast has seen your work, but they might not have uh, met you before. Tell people who you are and what you do. Well, I actually started uh, in Shark Week way back in 1991. And boy, it was a different animal back then. Uh, we used to do about seven shows a year. And it was popular but not like today. I mean, it's just grown leaps and bounds and sharks have become such a, a big part of our popular culture now. And a lot of that, thanks to Shark Week. Uh, I, I like to always say that they're, they've become the most popular wild animal in the world. And that's great for sharks because, you know, if you are thinking about sharks, you're a shark fanatic, uh, you wanna protect sharks. And that's, that's important. That's ultimately what we want. We want people to love sharks. And hopefully I've had a hand in that, you know, through the years, um, doing all the shows like Air Jaws, of course, is probably the thing that I'm most known for. We've done about 14 or 15 of those and uh, Great White Sleeping Out of the Water, which we first discovered in, in Fall Space, South Africa in 2001. And, uh, you know, I thought by this time, after 14 episodes, people would have seen enough. <laughs> of uh, breaching sharks, but we always find a different way to tell the story. Uh, obviously the, the technology has uh, really improved through the years. The first air jaws I shot on standard definition uh, with a camera on my shoulder. It was cool. I mean, we had like 50 breaches, I think in the show. Uh, nowadays we're shooting all the way up to 8K resolution, uh, super slow motion. It, it's just completely uh, mind boggling how these breaches look when you put a camera like that on them, it's, it's, it really showcases the beauty and athleticism uh, of these sharks. So, yeah, I mean, it's just I take it one year at a time. And so far, I have 32 years to, uh, in the books now with Shark Week, and it's still fun for me. Yeah, well, it certainly has been quite a, a storied history you've had with Shark Week. But what got you into, like, what were you doing before Shark Week? Were you making films, documentaries? What was your evolution getting into sharks? 
Yeah, I mean, everybody has a different path to get into Shark Week. I was a TV news guy. Uh, I was a journalist, uh, worked for NBC News and ABC News affiliates, and kind of uh, sort of learned the television business and how to tell a story. And really, a lot of the shows I do, I, I take some of my background in news reporting to figure out really what the story is and what the important part uh, of the story is. So uh, background in news for about seven years, and I just stumbled into Shark Week. I, I answered an ad in a newspaper. They were looking for an editor. And uh, I went and interviewed for that. And they said, oh, it's this new show called Shark Week that's coming out. Shark Week. I think I've heard of it. This was in 91, of course. And uh, I edited the first show back in 1991. And uh just going through the footage, I, I was amazed by sharks. I really didn't know a lot about sharks at the time, but eventually that led to me wanting to get in the water and diving and directing and being out in the field. And it just sort of uh, went from there, you know, one year at a time. Uh, I never thought it would go this long, but, you know, here we are. So when did it become kind of your your mainstay? Like, Is it fair to say sharks are most of your year right now? Definitely, it's all sharks now. But for the first okay. 10 years, um, when Discovery used to only do about seven sh new shows a year, maybe I would do one show, sometimes two, but normally one. And uh, that takes, to do one show, you know, you're out shooting for two or three weeks and you do the post-production and, and that takes a couple of months. So the rest of my year, I would do reality shows. I used to work on a show called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. I was a director of photography. Uh, I did a show called Girls Next Door that was shot at the Playboy Mansion. Uh, a lot of crazy stuff, but just learning the business and applying a lot of the techniques that I learned in doing reality TV into Shark Week. And uh, sort of Shark Week is an interesting um, sort of genre of television because uh, there's a lot of different, you know, uh, sort of themes in these shows. The show I did with Jimmy this year... Uh, Great White Open Ocean is a true documentary in, in, in a sense. Other shows I've done have been more uh, natural history. Some are like reality shows. So we try to give the audience a broad sort of uh, spectrum of shows to, to keep it interesting. And you have to do that after, you know, over three decades uh, of Shark yeah. Week. I mean, with so many shows, so many creatives being involved and, you know, subject matters that can sometimes be you know, revolutionary, but are often like, okay, how do we show a new nuance in a same area? How do we make this interesting? So you do have to mix it up. You do have to bring in new ideas, new people, new filming concepts, um, some things that some people might be like, oh, what is this doing on Shark Week? Uh, boo, boo, boo. I, I want true documentaries. But you, you need things to, you know, to entertain the masses. So you do have to mix things up a bit. Um, but 100%. I, I want to jump... Let's let's jump right into Great White Open Ocean because that was something that um, was, to me, distinctly different about your filmmaking, or at least the things that people typically know are Jeff Kerr productions. You know, this was you know very true doc, but actually more to the sense of like it was a, you know the story of, of Jimmy, and uh, it was it felt deeply personal. So when I was watching it, I was like, oh, okay. This uh, this is something that Jeff really cares about. So tell us about the show for anybody who hasn't seen it. Yeah, well, uh, unlike a lot of Shark Week shows that are all about the sharks, and we always get told the sharks are the stars and feature the sharks, and I do that, and I 
it's all about having those amazing shots. But in this particular case, the story is really about Jimmy and his passion for sharks. The show be actually begins with him uh, in this plastic cage box uh, out in the ocean, getting hit by a great white, almost dying, but not a scratch on him, amazingly. And then going on to... We had issues with COVID where he was locked down for a long time and he was dealing with a little bit of PTSD, wanted to get back in the water after that incident. We took him down to New Zealand and he had an amazing comeback dive with, with these sharks, uh, with great whites and actually did some snout touching and uh, some just beautiful scenes. And then lo and behold, um, the next day as we were heading out to film, he has a stroke and we, we had it on camera actually, uh, which obviously just devastated us. The whole crew, we, we were uh, in shock, but we rushed him to a hospital. He survived the stroke. Um, a year and a half later, he's still recovering uh, from the stroke. It's a tough road back from a stroke, but his passion for sharks and wanting to get back in the water with sharks is really what's fueled his recovery. So I like to say the sharks that, that almost killed him actually is what's kept him alive, you know, kept him, kept him going, um, you know, for a year and a half as he makes his comeback. So yeah, it was a very personal, emotional story because I'm, I'm very good friends with Jimmy and, you know, I, I rode in the helicopter with him to the hospital and, and we weren't even sure if he was going to make it. Mm. Uh, it. It was extremely emotional. And I, it, you know, the feedback I've got on this film I usually don't look at the feedback, but I've had so many people reach out to me, stroke victims and, and people that have known stroke victims uh, that were so inspired by Jimmy's story, recovering uh, from the stroke, uh, his passion and his determination. And uh, just people tell me they ugly cried when they watched it. Uh, a lot of people cry when they watch it. It's a very, very emotional film. And a lot of times we don't have a chance to get into the depth of storytelling like this with Shark Week. Uh, it, it usually you do, you do an hour show, that's about 42 minutes of content, and it's flying. I mean, it's going and going. Yeah. But Discovery, they allowed me to have, um, because they saw this, you know, what we were filming, uh, they really got behind the project and allowed me to expand it to an hour and a half, which is a lot longer than we normally go, and really get into Jimmy's story, even going to his home, uh, on the island of Jersey in the UK and, and seeing him during his recovery. And, and that's what really got people. Um, so it was a labor of love. And I, and I did, a lot of it was done for Jimmy. Um, more than anything, I want him to come back and uh, get in the water with sharks again. And, and I want to be there when that, when that happens. So um, yeah, it's uh, I, for me, I'll, I'll never probably have, uh, the opportunity to make a film like that again. So uh, I I'm very, very proud of it, of that film. And it's, I'm certainly the best thing I've done, I think. Well, as much as it inspired everyone else, I think that, you know, Jimmy seeing that, I I'm sure it must be inspirational for him and his desire to get back in the water, which is, you know, got to be number one for, for people like himself and us. Um, I want to kind of sort of break down that little journey that he had and you told in the story. Um, take us back to that, uh, you know, this glass box experiment. So if you, if you haven't seen it at home, this is Jimmy. He's floating in a Perspex box on the top of the ocean with great white sharks swimming around him. And Jeff, you can take it from there. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is, uh, 
a cage that we've used before. I call it a cage, but basically it's uh, all cages are a bluff when it comes to great white sharks. I've seen great whites tear apart aluminum cages. If they want to get in, they're getting in. Uh, but we designed a cage that we thought would be enough to deter the sharks. Sharks normally, when as you know, when they bump into something that's uh, rigid, they will turn away. And we saw that again and again, that was happening. The sharks would bump it. Oh, this is something rigid. I didn't expect. And they turn away. Well, this one particular shark didn't do that. Uh, she came in very fast uh, and with open mouth, aimed right at Jimmy and basically the, the, the box disintegrated and just standing there watching this, uh, I, my heart stopped. I mean, I, I really, I, my, I've, people said my face went white. There was really nothing you could do. You had to, it happened so fast that, you know, you had to rely on Jimmy's expertise to yep. get himself out of that situation. I mean, we all know when we work with sharks, they're dangerous. They're, and people sometimes take them for granted and they forget that they're extremely dangerous. And this is a great white being a great white. Um, and you can never, ever forget their their potential, you know, for mayhem there. This was a shark that was 16 feet long, probably um, three or four thousand pounds, huge shark. But it it destroyed the box uh, and somehow Jimmy avoided the shark's mouth. I don't know how he did it. I looked at I've looked at the replay a million times, but it seemed like part of the box sort of pushed him away from the shark's jaws. The shark, once it realized, I think um, what it had hit, it it realized, oh, this was a mistake. This is not what I meant uh, to hit. Uh, Ralph, who was our scientist uh, in the show, uh, who's studied a lot of shark attacks. And he's written papers on sharks uh, bumping and attacking inanimate objects, thought it might have been a displacement display where the shark was trying to push Jimmy out of the area. It didn't like Jimmy mm. around because it, it didn't continue the attack. It basically just ran the box, destroyed the box and left right away. And I, and I always like to point out to people that the shark didn't have a scratch on him, which is, you know, that's something we always keep in mind with, with these animals. We don't ever want to, you know, hurt them or abuse them in any way. And, uh, I've never done that. And thankfully Jimmy didn't have a scratch, uh, even, and, and it was touch and go though, definitely because just watching him hanging onto that piece of floating box, kind of evaluating the situation. Uh, he looked in the water, the shark luckily was on its way and made that long swim back to the boat. And, uh, thank God when he got up, we were all expecting to see blood, but he's like, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, definitely heart stopping. Uh, I don't ever want to see that again uh, on a shoot. It was experiencing that one aged me a decade or, or so. But uh, <laughs> well, let's, thankfully, let's, Jimmy's a fish, so he he survived it really well. Now, in this particular one, you've got a plastic box that literally disintegrated as soon as pretty much as soon as the yeah. shark hit it. What was going through your mind? Just honestly. What's going through your mind as you look at this thinking, this was kind of my idea, right? As Jimmy's getting almost bitten and destroyed by the shark. You know, thankfully, yes, the, the, the box pushed him up and away from it. Um, you must have been freaking out. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely was. I, I had to sit down for a while, but, you know, I was trying <laughs> to decide, do I jump in? Because I was right yeah. on the edge of the boat. What, you know, what do I do? And then, uh, 
I saw it, it was literally a couple of seconds and Jimmy was already swimming back to the boat. Sometimes you don't want to use a metal cage. Um, you know, the sharks, obviously, as you know, they have uh, sensory organs uh, in their nose, the, the ampullae of Lorenzini, the lateral line and, and metal sometimes makes them act, you know, different than normal than you normally would. So we decided on this cage, yeah. um, all plastic, uh, to see how the sharks would react because it's interesting when sharks are in open ocean because there's not a seal colony for them to feed off of. There's not a lot going on in the middle of the ocean. It's, it's uh, basically people have called it a desert. Uh, and so you wonder how are these animals going to behave out there when there's not a lot of food sources, they come across something, are they going to be more aggressive than they normally would be? Uh, like an oceanic white tip. I'm sure you've dove white tips and you know how they are. They, sure. they live out in the middle of the ocean. They come across anything and they are on it. And they're ex- not a big shark, but boy, are they aggressive. And they just keep coming and coming. And I, I've had some crazy experiences with oceanic white tips in, in open ocean. But so you wonder if the sharks, the great whites, change their behavior when they're out in open ocean. And that's kind of what we wanted to test. Uh, are they more aggressive? Do they act differently? And um, I think they definitely do because when they come across anything that's in one of their long open ocean migrations, that's a possible food source. They're going to check it out aggressively. And it, that particular shark def- definitely did. So we learned a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to do that again for sure. And I, you know, <laughs> thank God it was Jimmy in that. Because, like I said, yeah. Jim, Jimmy's—he never panicked. He—he he was calm, and he's great in the water with with these animals. He's fr- free dove with great whites before. Uh, I would never consider putting somebody out there that didn't have that kind of experience—at least a, a decade sure. of experience. But again, that's the thing, you know. Luke is like, you know, we know the risks when we go out there, and uh, you know, you have to understand the risks of diving with these animals, and never ever forget what they could do, you know, in a, in a second. Yeah. Now, uh, when Jimmy got back on deck, um, you know, we, we've seen the film, but how was he, you know, off camera when he came out? Was he, was he kind of like stoked and elated that it, it happened and still living off that adrenaline? Like did it and when did it turn into, oh, that was actually really real. Like when did that sink in? Yeah, it was, you know, it was a little bit of both. I mean, he was excited his face was completely white, like mine. We all of our faces were, or the blood drained out of our, our faces. But uh, he did say that, you know, I think I'm the first person that's ever been breached on and, and lived to tell the tale. And he really Probably. was, he really was breached on. Um, and, and somehow luck, skill, I don't know what it is, but he, he missed the shark, thank God. And, um, but yeah, he, uh, he was very pumped up. I'm sure the adrenaline was going. I think it really hit him, though, afterwards, going back to the UK, going back to the island of Jersey where he lives, and having a whole lot of time in lockdown to think about it and replay it in his head. Sure. And we covered that in the film. You know, it's uh, He wasn't able to get out in the ocean again for a long time because of the lockdown. So when we took him back to New Zealand, that was his first time in a year seeing a great white. And, uh, boy, you know, when he first saw that first shark, his face just lit up and he was like, get me in the water. I I couldn't wait.
It's one of those things that, you know, when you're in the field, you try to prepare for any eventuality. It, normally you're, sure. you're dealing with like, okay, if somebody gets bit, we have to be able to stop the bleeding. Uh, if somebody has hypothermia, we warm them up, but it, it's very difficult to prepare for, for a stroke. You know, how do you even tell the signs? But luckily I, I had not long before I had just randomly read something about stroke symptoms. So when I saw him, uh, exhibiting some signs of stroke just randomly standing on the back of the boat i thought he might be having a stroke but you never think that with a guy who's 39 didn't really have a family history of stroke um at first i thought it was diving related i thought maybe he was having a a, an embolism or something like that but it had been the day before and i you know i called uh there's an operation called diver dan which has uh diving medicine doctors on call 24-7, and I was asking their opinions, and they had, no, I don't think so. It was very shallow dives, very mellow uh, dives they did, less than 20 feet. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's still kind of a mystery. We know that something lodged, something in his neck uh, had come loose and lodged in his brain, and um, it was extremely, you know, a delicate, serious situation, but Thankfully, uh, in Christchurch, New Zealand, where we took him, we flew him there by helicopter. They have one of the top stroke units in the entire world. I mean, a, a brand new, amazing hospital. And, uh, you know, they did some amazing treatments to keep him keep him alive because I think it was really touch and go. Strokes are, are no joke. But thankfully, we, you know, I happened to catch the signs right away and we immediately radioed for a helicopter. Are you staying in touch with Jimmy? Do you have an idea about his you know, current status, how he's healing up? Yeah, I talk to Jimmy all the time. Uh, I talk to his sister and, and the rest of his family. And uh, I'm doing everything I can to uh, you know, support him and help him in his comeback. Um, you know, eventually, we want to take him back out in the water and get, and get him back in the water with sharks. When he's ready, in, in due time, um, I don't know about deep diving, but he, he, we definitely want to get him in the water. And uh, someday I think we'll do a follow-up to Great White Open Ocean. You know, I think that's Jimmy's ultimate goal, to keep working with sharks in, in some capacity. And, but he's doing great. Yeah. His attitude's great. He's always smiling. He's always laughing. And it was great to visit him on uh, the island of Jersey and, and meet his family. And uh, so I, I have a lot of hope for Jimmy. He's going to be fine, I think. It's just going to take a while. Uh, it's awesome. I, I've, uh, I think I've only chatted to him once on this podcast. And uh, of course, I've seen the shows that he's been on. And he actually, he works on the boat that I started out my yeah. great white career on, on the island. Um, so, you know, I've, I've kept tabs on what he does. And from what I've seen, he's uh, has this infectious enthusiasm about him and just an absolute passion and love for sharks. You know, if, if there's anybody that can come back from something like yeah. that and get back into what he loves, it's absolutely Jimmy. And uh, Jimmy, if you're listening, mate, which I'm sure you are, um, you know, would love to have you on this show. But more importantly, we want to see you back out on the water. So yeah, people love people love him. They, uh, I have so many people uh, have contacted me and say I just love Jimmy and and uh, all the people he's taken out on dive trips to Guadalupe. Uh, he's got a lot of fans. I've I've never heard anyone say a bad word about about jimmy he's just a, a really lovable guy yeah well that's killer well hopefully it does turn into another uh film for you because i'm sure everyone would love a follow-up to that one hopefully with lots of uh jimmy in the water with great whites and mm-hmm. uh learning new things about him which would be really cool uh, i want to 
dive into a little more about, you know, your history of filming. You know, this just came up yesterday. So this is kind of like fresh news. And I know that you have some history in the area, but you've heard about this uh, shark bite in Plattenberg Bay. Right. right? Um, what is your take on that? For, for people who don't know about it, there's a, a young lady. She was uh, bitten and uh, killed by a great white in an area where sharks aren't really that well known, at least historically. You know, there aren't that many great whites around until fairly recent years. But you've had some history-making films out there. Yeah, Plattenberg Bay is a really unique place. And we actually filmed there back in 2019. We did an Air Jaws episode there. And the reason that we even went there was because, obviously, everyone's heard about the situation with the orca that have come into places to where we traditionally film great whites like False Bay, and they've wiped out the great whites. Uh, Plettenberg emerged as a place for a last stand, so to speak, for the great white shark in South Africa. And it's an amazing place because it has these very high cliffs uh, 300 feet high cliffs that you could look down on the edge of the cliff and see great white, great white sharks interacting with seals. Uh, but also there's a surf break right there near the cliff. And we had great whites coming from the seal colony into the surf area constantly back and forth, back and forth. And there was a viral video that came out uh, not long after we were there uh, shot by a drone of a huge great white going right under all these surfers. And I, I was thinking at the time, you know, it's, it's, it's just a matter of time before an accident happens because these guys are surfing. The break is right there where the sharks come in. And uh, lo and behold, last June, there was a fatal attack at Plettenberg. Uh, it's a very popular bathing beach. A lot of the Cape Tonians go there. Uh, they have weekend places. It's a beautiful, beautiful stretch of ocean. But a gentleman, I think it was a gentleman that was killed there in June. And then just a couple of days, I guess last weekend, uh, a woman was killed uh, by a white shark there. So what does that tell us? Uh, a few years ago, there weren't a lot of sharks at Plettenberg. It wasn't known for great white sharks. And my thinking is that a lot of the great whites escaping the orcas uh, from Hans Bay and False Bay and other locations have moved into Plettenberg. And so now all of a sudden Plettenberg is a, a white shark hotspot. And that's well, what, what's attracting them to Plettenberg. Well, there is a seal colony is, there. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, is that, is that just, is it the next logical large seal colony that they're encountering now that they're being pushed out by the orcas or is it something particular topographically about it that makes it good hunting grounds perhaps? Yeah. I mean, I think it is partially, like the next stop, because if you look at False Bay, that's the westernmost, trying to picture yeah. the South African coast. And then you go to Hans Bay, which is a little bit, you know, east of, of False Bay. But it's almost like the sharks are being pushed down the coast uh, and end up at Plettenberg, which is a, a, a great spot if you're a great white shark, because, the, you know, the waters are calm. It's it's uh, there's a million seals there. But I think now it's changed a bit and you know, the ocean is changing in crazy ways right now with, with a lot of the, yeah. the global warming issues. But I think that's also part of it too. Uh, the bigger sharks are coming into Plettenberg Bay and when a person gets attacked by a white shark, it's usually not these little juveniles. Um, it's, it's usually a, a larger shark. Uh, in, in my experience has been, it's, it's sharks that are beyond the juvenile stage into the subadult stage. Uh, these are the white sharks that are most dangerous to humans. 
And, um, yeah, so tragically, uh, two fatal attacks there in just a few months. And, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about this, uh, this attack that they've had there. And right now, Luke, if you were here with me in California, we could grab a couple paddle boards and head out to any number of beaches and we'd be surrounded by white sharks. It is the Sharktober of California. There's sharks everywhere, but we just don't get the attacks here. I'm not sure why. It's an interesting question, <clears throat> you know, for researchers. There's all these white sharks off the California coast, and the attacks are are so rare, especially south of Point Conception. But um, yeah. it, it's interesting in different places the way the sharks act. Uh, you know, they're different in every location. New Zealand sharks are different than than South African white sharks, and they're different than California white sharks. So it's an interesting question, and yeah. I'm not sure what causes these attacks, you know, in these situations. So, I mean, uh, one negative encounter with them can be a life-changing event. But, I mean, thankfully, I haven't seen that many reports of people going out intentionally trying to get footage with a great white or something and coming off the worst for the wear. Most of the time, they're going to splash too much. They're going to create all this chaos. The shark's going to go, well, what are you doing near me? Get away right. from me. Right. I want nothing to do with you. And they're going to disappear. And what we end up with is kind of a cool shot on a GoPro as the shark disappears. You know, it might bump the board and disappear. But, you know, then we get the ones where, you know, the shark has stalked up and has targeted a person as a potential food source or investigate in you know something to investigate. Um, we saw uh, the the young girl in Florida um, in uh, it was July fourth. She lost her leg. Um, she wasn't out there trying to harass sharks at all. It was she was just out there scalloping and and got bitten. And and that's a massive life changing event. You know, I think I I want people to look at things like that. And thankfully, she's recovering and she's doing great. Um, but look at that and think, you know, do I really want to be on the receiving end of that? Is that worth that shot? And, you know, these these scars can be for the lifetime if you happen to live through it. it it's, it's a dangerous thing for people to go out and, and assume that they can be fine with predators just because they right. happen to be in the water and just because they happen to see them on TV. They're way more dangerous than a lot of animals people would not go anywhere near on any normal day of their life. Well, yeah, you know, and it's it's always the shark that you don't see. As you know, in, in all these attacks, like uh, what happens in Florida, uh, most of the accounts I've read, the person never saw the shark. And they, usually they can't identify. Yeah. I have no idea what species it was. I just, all of a sudden, I felt my leg being uh, tugged on. And, you know, that's the thing. So one thing I guess you can look at as a positive, if you see the shark and it sees you and you guys have this eye contact going on, far less likely that the shark's going to bite you. It's, it's people in situations that are, you know, in, especially in Florida with the black tips and a lot of bitey sharks, so to speak, if you're wading in murky water and you don't see a shark, the sharks definitely knows you're there. That's when these, a lot of these bites seem to happen. But yeah, uh, you know, at least with the white sharks, if you see one and you're on a paddleboard and it sees you, there's usually an understanding. Okay, I'm an ambush predator. I can't ambush you. The jig is up. I'm going to check you out, circle a little bit, and I'll be on my way. It's it's always that shark that you don't see, like with any predator that uses these ambush techniques. So, you know, that's one thing to think about when you think about all these attacks. Um, it, there's a lot of commonality there uh, in terms of I never saw it coming. And that's, that's when you're yeah. in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. If we're, 
you know, it's a blessing and a curse knowing what's out there. You know, the, the higher visibility we get with like, drones in the air is, I think, actually one of the, the better things because, you know, lifeguards get that tool to be able to say, hey, there's a shark out there. Don't go out there right now. Mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic. But ironically, that shark wouldn't have been an issue most of the time. Right. Usually it's when they wouldn't have been able to see it with a drone or anything else because it's murky water or, you know, high surf yeah. zone or or it's people walking into an area that they shouldn't. So perhaps let's just give people some inspiration from your perspective with like what's the the your favorite experience you've had to do with sharks in all these years of making Shark Week? Like what's the thing that stands out that you'll think, yeah, that was that was worth my career? Um, you know, definitely capturing the breaching great whites uh, in South Africa and being one of the first to do that, I think is definitely the highlight of my career because just that behavior, uh, it, it was known, but it was considered extremely rare and a random thing. And we were able to find a spot uh, in South Africa in False Bay where you could get breaching sharks almost on demand. It was a, uh, an unbelievable experience. That changed my life. And just the fact that so many people had never seen this before and it made such a huge splash in Shark Week. You know, here we are 14 or 15 films later still doing these Air Jaws programs. I, I think if I was a young person that was really wanted to have a career with sharks, I would consider going to a place like South Africa going to work with like say Marine Dynamics uh, as a company mm-hmm. in Hans Bay where they offer internships and chances for people to work with, you know, hands-on with sharks, not only sharks, but penguins. Uh, they're very conservation minded. So it's yeah. like finding your niche in the shark world, whatever that might be, whether it's filmmaking or, you know, conservation or whatever that science, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can go to work with these animals. I always loved animals I grew up watching Cousteau. Um, I said, someday I'm going to do that. I'm going to work with animals. Maybe I'll even film them. Who knows? It all kind of got put on hold as I went through college. I could, how am I going to do this? And then it, it just, one day, I answered an ad in a newspaper uh, for a Shark Week film, and it just all, you know, it was luck. It, it just all went from yeah. that, that point. So, you know, if you really want to do something and you really want to work with sharks, there are avenues to do it. You just have to be committed to it and, and take a, take a chance, roll the dice. Uh, yeah. like we all did, we all rolled the dice and let's get into sharks and it's been great. And, and hopefully I've been able to contribute, uh, something meaningful, uh, in the shark world where people will look back and say, wow, that was some pretty amazing stuff that got me inspired. That made me want to become a scientist that made me want to become a filmmaker. And I, I hear a lot of that from, from younger, uh, the younger scientists. So, yeah. Uh, I think you should. I mean, you, you talk about your, you know, inspiration of Cousteau. Um, you know, in many ways, the, the media you've created has the same effect on a, on a younger generation. You should be very proud of that. I, mean, I remember growing up watching Cousteau and thinking, I want to be on a boat with my best friends, going out and discovering sharks and shipwrecks and doing all that amazing stuff. I remember thinking that at five years old. Yeah, and, me too. you know, uh, different turns of my life happened throughout. Uh, you know, I, I didn't hang on to that. It wasn't like my driving force from five years old, but it's something that always stuck with me. And throughout the years, you know, I, I applied to marine biology school. I didn't go right away. I went into business. Right. But then I, I came back to it because I'm like, this is this is my calling. And, and eventually, I found myself there with my friends 
on a boat in the middle of the ocean playing with sharks and discovering shipwrecks and stuff, you know, literally doing exactly what I remember at five, you know, dreaming about. And I think you with your films, you're giving people that opportunity for that inspiration as well. And I don't think people see how hard it is. They, they see the end result and they see this amazing stuff. But still, that is the inspiration that will, will kick them down the path towards hopefully contributing to helping save this amazing species. So you should be very proud of that. Is there, um, is there anything you're working on right now that you can share with us or is that all under wraps? Uh, you know, uh, so I'm getting older now. <laughs> and it takes, a lot of, <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of energy to do these films. So um, I'm not saying that I'm going to hang it up anytime soon, but when I feel like I've, I'm ready to pass the torch on to some of these uh, young guys that I've developed and I've seen them develop their, their filmmaking and storytelling skills. Then I'll probably say, okay, guys, you know, take over. I've got other things I want to accomplish in life. But, uh, so I, but that said, uh, I am looking at one or two more projects to do, uh, before I call it a career, um, you heard it here first. No, I'm joking. I, I, but I, I love what I do and it's going to be hard to give it up. My wife won't let me cause she loves going out on location and, uh, with me, <laughs> she's like, we gotta go out there again. So, but, um, you know, so you're going to remain a filmmaker as long as your wife gets to have a vacation. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that's right. You know how it goes. No, <laughs> that's as good a reason. That's as right. Any, to that's be right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful to do another year of shark week. That would be 33. That's a nice round number. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Sounds good. Well, I'll give you, uh, before we sign off here, I'll give you an opportunity to send a message out to Jimmy because I'm sure he's listening. Um, what do you want to say? Jimmy, I love you, brother. Uh, keep fighting. Uh, you know, I'm so proud of what you did in that film and uh, so happy for you that you're on your way back and, and we're going to get out and see some sharks soon. Good on you. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Luke. It was a pleasure. Good on you, mate. You know, you really couldn't ask to have a guy with more experience on the show than Jeff Kerr. I mean, the guy is absolutely legend. And the fact that he was the one to be able to be there for Jimmy throughout the experience that he's had, um, I, I think is somewhat prophetic. I mean, it, it's amazing to see that uh, his genuine care and compassion for his friend and taking him through what has been a, a very traumatic experience is very present. And that film, if you haven't seen it, is really worth checking out. You can get it on Discovery Plus, uh, search for it and, uh, and, and watch it. It's, it's really beautifully made. And Jimmy, I know you're probably out there listening to this. Um, the whole Shark Week and Discovery family are pulling for you, mate. Um, we really want to see you back out and strong. We want to see you in the water. We want to see you with sharks. But overall, we just want to see you healthy. Now, another important topic that Jeff brought up is, is the desire to go out and work and film with sharks. And there's something I think that we should touch on because there are a lot of risks that we take in making these films. You know, Jimmy's one example of it. Um, we don't take it lightly. None of the people on Shark Week take what we're doing with sharks lightly. I mean, we might joke around about it. Absolutely, we do. You know, that's part of the fun of making it. You know, there's definitely a camaraderie in sharing the danger of getting into the water with these sharks. And yes, you might see some people be a little flippant about it. But that's also kind of our defense mechanism for how we deal with it. You know, I remember when I first started out with working with sharks, 
people used to ask me about, you know, what my mother would think or, or you know, aren't you scared all the time? And frankly, no, I, I wasn't worried what my mum would think and I wasn't scared, but I was very, very cognizant of the danger. And that's, that's the difference. Like somebody who's actually going out and doing this professionally, they're aware of what they're doing. They have a very strong understanding of the implications of what we're getting ourselves into. And that allows us to be okay and to go forward knowing that just like you know, skydivers or wingsuit flyers or anybody in any type of sort of extreme scenario or circumstance, they're going to tell you most of the time that there isn't that much adrenaline, that it's just something that they've, that they're now comfortable with. And that there's actually a kind of a peace that comes over you when you encounter these animals or when you do this extraordinary thing that people watch you and think, oh, they're crazy. And there really is. And, but that piece is addictive. It's something that we have to have. It's something that we have to, have to pursue. And in the case of sharks, it's something that we have a deep passion for, not only for our, the, our own experience with this magnificent animal, but also what we're trying to discover about it because we feel this ticking clock of these animals that are being vaporized from the face of the planet at a rate that's completely unsustainable. And the vast majority of people out there working with sharks are not working with sharks because they want to be famous. They're working with sharks because we want to bring awareness and understanding to this animal so that we can enjoy them for all of our lifetimes and our kids' lifetimes, but not even just for that, like so that we can keep the oceans healthy. And really the ocean is what brought us all into this. And that's it for today's episode. Stay tuned to this feed as we continue to cover the sharkiest current topics. We'll talk to top scientists and experts and learn about the latest conservation efforts to keep this amazing animal from extinction. Thank you so much for listening to Shark Week, the podcast. Be sure to rate us five stars and subscribe for more shark fun facts. Until next time, I'm Luke Tibble. I'll chat to you soon.